how to preach. It's been a little while since I've done this, and uh, we did have a wonderful, wonderful uh, vacation, and uh, thanks for all the, the prayers, and uh, it, was, it was quite quite the journey. Those who are on uh, Facebook with my wife, she was telling was one story how, you know, nothing really happens easy for us when we go on vacation. I'm just telling you, it's like every time. But anyways, so we were supposed to fly out, and you know, we were getting ready to get, you know, we got down, you know, you're up at 3.45, and leaving at 4.30, and you're there at 6.30, and you walk in, and you're noticing there's nobody in the airport. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is going to be a really empty flight, except for her and I, and we get there, and they're like, why are you here? And we're like, well, we're going down to Dallas, and they're like, well, that flight was canceled. We couldn't call you because the person who set up the, everything didn't give them my number, our number. So they, we tried to contact you. So, so we're there, and we're just like, okay. Okay, now what are we going to do? Well, we'll stay in Fort Wayne maybe, and this and that. They, they worked really diligent, got us another flight to, to, to Charlotte. We waited there six hours. We were supposed to get there at Waco at 1. And make a long story short, we finally got there at 1030. Went to get a rental car, which they gave away. Which is really fun, because now what are we going to do to get the airport, or from the airport over to the hotel? And we're like, okay. And it's, what happened is really cool, because we had all these mixed flights, so I'm watching to see if our luggage was there. While there's two people, one person in line getting, getting the rental car, because the other rental car places were closed. And so, so I'm waiting, and I kind of stepped out of line, this big guy. I mean, Rob, he's a really, really big guy. And he had this Israeli, you know, shirt on, and he's into this, you know, uh, jujitsu training. And, you know, he was one of those guys you got kind of to step away from, you know, intimidating. So, so while I'm over here looking, he gets in line. So I'm like, it's okay, buddy. You're, you're bigger <laughs> than me. I am not going to say a word. So while he's going through his 20 minutes of getting the car, I kind of stepped to the side and she says, and what do you want? I said, I, I was supposed to be here at one and I'd like to get my car now. And she said, we have none. He got the last one. Oh, timing's everything, isn't it? Another guy's over here waiting to get a taxi who never returned to call an hour before that to get a taxi there. So we're stuck. So this big guy, Rob, so he, he, he hears all this going on and we're like, Wow, well, we're not sure. He, he turned around. He goes, "Tell you what, why don't you all put your luggage in my rental car, and I'll take you all to your your hotels." And how kind was that? Really was. So we all get in there, luggage on top of everybody, and so we we finally get there to ours, uh, our our hotel, and we get out. And he starts helping. He goes, "Listen, if you need to ride back to get the car, you know, just let me know." I gave he gave me his card, and I gave him my card. And he goes, "Oh, you're a preacher?" I said, "Yeah." He goes. Well, let me tell you what's going on in my life. So we, so we were there four or five minutes maybe, and he had gone through a lot of family issues, missing his kids. He lives uh, south of Indy area. And so we got there, and we talked, and we had a chance to pray with this young man. And I texted him a couple times, and, and he said, just be praying for me. I'm a mess. And all of a sudden, this canceled late arrival didn't matter anymore. You know, in a way, I'm always like, Lord, I got the patience thing when I'm working. Do I need to learn patience on vacation too, you know, type of thing? And the Lord's like, uh, yes, you do. 
And it was, it was, it was great. So pray for Rob. He's, uh, we're hoping to get him up and visit with him a little bit up here, us down there. So good, good man, good man, good Christian, just, just young in the Lord. So it's amazing how, how everything comes together. And it all came back to the only hope that this man could say he could hold on to was that he was saved. That's what he had. And, you know, he's a very diligent man and hard worker, one to provide and did everything he felt that he was doing. And it was like all swept away from him. And all that he had was a broken heart and Jesus. And so sometimes we get back to where we are at in life. And we, when we get down to that real common denominator, that foundation of where everything is built from, it's, it's Christ. It's the cross. It's, it's the foundation. And if we have Jesus, it is enough. We have the Word of God. It is sufficient. It is enough. Many who have been in jail, who didn't even have a Bible, could always rest in the verses that they had memorized to quote them and to go over them and to, to have that assurance of God's presence with them. And it comes down to it. And so here we are. We're burdened. We're, we're going through a lot of different things. Each one of you are going through your, your own issues and burdens. And today we have the chance to put all of that to the side. So do that with me. In your mind... Put everything that you're thinking about this afternoon, all the work that you've done, this is what we do. We are always churning in our mind. And it's hard for us to stop and be still. I'm asking us for a little bit, stop and be still. Put all that to the side because all of our things are not really all that important compared to the cross. And so we put it to the side and then we get, we get focused I entitled today the New Testament, and the reason I did, because that's a broad you know, thing, the whole New Testament, well, it is the thought of a new agreement. New Testament is the word agreement or a new covenant. And in Matthew 26, this is where Jesus says, this is the New Testament or new agreement in my, in the blood. So the blood is that which begins an agreement. We would even use the word will. So I remember when my, uh, my mom went home to be with the Lord. My, my dad went home first and mom secondly. And uh, my, my brother was uh, the one that had to take care of everything. And she had written everything out as far as you know, how things were to be given, and etc. Uh, how she wanted things done. And none of that was in force until she passed away. Once she passed away, then her will or her covenant was then put into practice. And so that's the thought. Jesus saying the blood is representative of the death. And once that death took place, the new agreement was going to then be able to be, if you will, signed, sealed, and delivered. Here it is. And when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished... That's the thought. Everything that needed to be accomplished according to the Old Testament up to that point, all the prophecies, nailed it. Nailed it right to the tree. So we, as we look at this new agreement, see it uniquely. In the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, he talks about, uh, John the Baptist is talking about, he's, he's talking about grace upon grace. 
And what he means is like, just as though grace wasn't up, he's going to give more spiritual blessings upon more spiritual blessings. And then the next verse says, because the law was by Moses, but grace and truth are by Jesus Christ. The law, if you will, perfect. The first covenant was absolutely perfect. The problem was man couldn't keep it. Everything that God laid out in his law was right. It was right for God to command it. The failure was in man. Why? Because man is a sinner. That's why when I talk to people about, you know, what do you depend upon to get you into heaven? They say the Ten Commandments. And I'm like, you, you poor thing. Because you're breaking all of them. You don't keep the law. You say, I didn't break all of them. God says if you broke one of the commandments, you broke the whole thing. They're all connected. If you messed up and told one lie when you were five years old, you broke it. If you've deceived anybody, if you, and, and, and you've ever rebelled against your parents, you broke the law. You're guilty of everything. If you didn't keep the Sabbath perfectly, travel more than that sabbatical day, a mile, you broke the law. If you're not keeping the sabbaticals yesterday, you broke the Old Testament law. You know what's awesome? Is Christ is our Sabbath. He is our rest. He fulfilled everything that the law was written for. Christ fulfilled it for us. And that's why he says, I'm the accomplishment. I'm the aim of what the law under Moses was all about. And I love it how Hebrews says that, that literally Christ is the end or the aim of the law for righteousness. So he was always the goal that God had. So here we are looking back at what Jesus did for us. Y'all been around me a long time. There is nothing more that I love to preach on than my Savior and the cross. And it's tender to me because that's what I heard right away when I went to a Bible preaching church. I heard the cross. Before I heard about Jesus and I heard about his love, and, and he's great, and he came, and, and Easter, and, you know, yeah, it's, it's, you know, bunny, Easter bunnies, and that's all my understanding was about, what, about the holidays. But this guy helped me realize the cross. The cross was for you. He loved you. He took the sting of death for you. After a few weeks of that, I'm like, I need, I need him. And thank God I got saved, and it changes everything. This, what we look at as communion, is a very precious thing to you and I as Christians. Early on in the book of Acts even, you can see how they were, they were already breaking bread. They were having this fellowship with each other. And it was something. But through time, just like in the Old Testament, through time, the church started messing things up. Leave it to man to mess things up again. I mean, how could you mess communion up? The church at Corinth found a way to mess the whole thing up. They made it a great big meal. Matter of fact, Wednesday nights we're in this chapter also, and we're going to get to it in a, in a couple of Wednesdays. And when they were getting together, it was like certain people had lots of food, and they would come, and they would have a great amount. And then poor people were over here, and they're having, they had nothing, and they're calling this communion 
And it says they weren't even thinking about Jesus. They weren't even thinking about the cross. So God says, so I'm going to make some of you sick. I'll wake you up. Because if you're not going to judge yourselves, then I've got to step in and do the judging for you. That's what we read in this chapter. And that's why we evaluate ourselves before we partake of the communion. We look at our lives. Do I have aught with a brother or sister? I have something, is something in a way that I haven't put to the side? Am I, not, am I doing anything but focusing on Christ? If, and that's what he's saying is you have to have the mindset that this is about him. And as soon as we do that, the, the communion completely changes. And, it's a, and it is an absolute sweet, sweet fellowship. Let's go ahead and read the chapter that we know well. We are in 1 Corinthians in chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians in chapter number 11. And once you have found that, please stand out of respect of God's word, and we're going to be reading and starting in verse number 23. I'll make a few comments before we, we begin to, to break the bread down. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus... The same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, We'll highlight this in a little bit. You do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation, or a judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and even many sleep. Poor. Here's, again, the correction to that. We don't have to experience that. He says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. The thought is, by God. For when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Literally meaning death and hell. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. If any man hunger, let him eat at home. That you come not together unto condemnation. The rest I'll set in order when I come. My Father, open up our eyes to see good things from you and your word today. Holy Spirit, please do the job of teaching us individually, corporately, and help us, Lord, to be focused on you during this time. Thank you for Jesus' sake. Amen. And you may be seated. The first thing that Paul talks about in verse number 23 is, For I have received of the Lord. And sometimes we kind of fast forward through some of these phrases, but you understand this is really important because what he is telling me is he literally was receiving a revelation specifically directly by or from Jesus Christ. This is common in a lot of Paul's writings. Galatians, when he was talking about the gospel that he preached to them, he says, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of men, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of 
Jesus Christ. So Jesus was still giving Paul the word of God. We call that inspiration. So God was literally breathing to him what the message needed to go out to, to the world and also to the churches. And then as he would write these scriptures down, it would be then given to the churches and ultimately to, to us. Because we believe this is what God has inspired and then, of course, translated now into our English language that we have. Now, the issue at hand, though, is this. So, so some people say, well, I'm just like Paul. I get new revelations all the time. Ooh, be careful on that one. Because, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 and other portions really point to a concept that God's Word is now complete. We don't need new revelations. God has already given the completeness from the Genesis account to the revelation. We know everything that has to, deal, to do with the future, but we also know what is necessary for us to know as the church. All the information is already compiled here in the scriptures. So I believe God speaks to our hearts. I believe God, through the Holy Spirit, works inside of our conscience. He can convict us. He can guide us. And always according to the word. And I believe you know, to say, well, God doesn't speak to my heart. Well, I, I wouldn't say that. But as some have said, well, I got a new revelation from God. Whoa, you're... you're you're getting into some really dangerous ground there. We had these ladies, charismatic ladies, and uh, they, they kept on coming into the church I was attending and interrupting the service. By the way, if they would have read 1 Corinthians, they would have known that that was wrong. He set that all in order. And so as they were coming in, they would sit in the front pews, and they would start, I, I was there getting ready to preach one time, and they were doing it. They started rolling the eyes backwards. And then before long, they're gone and, and all over the place. And then they started speaking in this weird gibber. And so before long, the preacher had to stop them and say, listen, you're interrupting service. We don't do that here. And, and then so they, they just literally were annoying the service, interrupting everything. And so finally, the preacher had to say, deacons, can you help these ladies out of the church? Because literally we couldn't even have church service because of the interruption. And on the way out, the second time they did this, they kept on yelling to John. They kept on saying, but we have a message from God. We have a message from God, from God to all the churches. And finally, I love it. John stopped and he said, okay, hold on. What's your message to us from God? And they said, repent. And John said, the Bible's already told us that. We already know that message. God is not the author of confusion. And there's groups that say, I have this feeling, I have this something that's going on inside of me, that this revelation, just go to the Word, which is always consistent and always the same. Aren't you glad John 3.16 is still John 3.16? And there's nothing you can add to it, and you can't take anything away from it. It is what it is. Absolute truth and so we have to be careful of that but at this time Paul literally is receiving this revelation that does unfold more to the church not the message that Jesus gave about the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the wine and what it represented but how the church was supposed to be doing it because they were doing it wrong and boy wouldn't it be easy for the churches to do communion wrong he said 
teaching that this, what he's receiving, is, was not created by man. Communion, this breaking of the bread, is not made up by man, and it is it's not created by man. Paul did not learn this from another man. He didn't even learn what he's teaching here from the other apostles. This was a direct revelation from Jesus himself on the details of how and why communion was to be observed. There is something, the older I'm getting, maybe it's because I'm getting older, um, but to do things God's way as best as we possibly can. Matter of fact, um, some of the messages I've been teaching on recently in other books really pulls this together of how the word is to be explained that we're not edifying ourselves it's not about ourselves it is pointing people to him you say i i already know that but but what he's talking about is this i'm going to constantly preach jesus christ him crucified i'm going to keep the simplicity or the singleness of the cross before me and that we are not preaching he says we're not preaching ourselves but Jesus Christ, and Him crucified. So all of these verses pulled together are helping us understand what Paul's mission and his goal, his agenda, was all about. Why do we have communion? I think one of the reasons, I love this one hymn. I'll read a couple of the phrases from it. You know it well, but it's entitled, Lead Me to Calvary. And in the, sec- in the first verse, he says, King of my life, I crown thee now, thine shall the glory be, lest I forget the thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. And then the refrain, lest I forget Gethsemane. He's pulling together not just the cross, but the agony that the Savior went through, the prayer that he went through. Lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, Lead me to Calvary. Today, my mission is to lead you back to Calvary. To remember. It's interesting the different phrases that popped out at me this time while I'm studying this to teach on this morning. I've never paused on the ones I am today. The first one was, this is from Jesus. This isn't from man. We don't get to make this up. This is direct revelation. This is how God says, this is how I want you to do it. This is what I want you to focus on. And the other thing that stuck out to me the most was when he described in verse number 23, I'm reading in the middle, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed. The betrayal. And I'm like, why would God put that right in the mix of all of this? What's the betrayal mean? Many of us have been betrayed. We had a trust in somebody that they would do something or that they were behind us. And then before long, they had their own agenda and they turned on you, stabbed you in the back and smiled and laughed the whole way. We've all been betrayed. But here we have Judas. Judas is scary. The one who was so close to Jesus Christ. He knew that he was going to do this. Nothing takes God by surprise. But the disciples didn't get it. When he said, one of you will betray me, they had that same question, is it I? 
is that am I going to be the one that's going to turn against you? And they believed it was true. But they didn't know who. And even after he gave sup with Judas, there was still this, it can't be him. It couldn't be him. And yet it was. Oftentimes it is that one that we least would expect. The psalmist, when he talked about this, I'm reading out of Psalm 35. Prophetically, God says, For without cause have they hid for me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. Later on in verse 19, the same chapter, Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. The question we would have to ask ourselves is, why did Judas do this? Why, why did government turn against Jesus? Why did the, the, the religious leaders at that time period turn on Jesus Christ? Why did these people that he helped turn on him? Not everybody, but there was definitely a census that we want Barabbas to re, be released and we want to see Jesus killed. And they wouldn't look at it this way, but we do. They're thinking, let's murder him. Kill him. Get him out of the way. And sadly, many were doing that in the name of God. They trampled underfoot the blood of Jesus Christ. They, they were rejoicing and almost like, yes, we're glad he's dead. And sadly, many in our country would think the same. He is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, as the list goes on in Isaiah. The betrayal. He was betrayed, and yet he was the only one that was innocent. Jesus did not deserve to die as a common criminal. And yet this fulfilled the prophecy that without a cause they hated him and would have him murdered. We get into the fellowship time. There are two elements. The first one Jesus talks about in verse 24. The second in 25. The first one is the bread. The bread is that which symbolizes or represents the body of Jesus Christ. And as they would have during the Passover meal, they would have had the, the, the food, etc. Then they would have had the drink afterwards. And so as they are going through this process, they uniquely are now taking one loaf and begin to break it amongst them. The symbol is that Jesus Christ is one. It's a, it's a body, literally, though, was, was dissembled and broken bit by bit. And yet, those who would partake of that bread, it's symbolically, literally, believing and then receiving Jesus Christ into themselves as the one who died for them. The body was broken. The same thought is with the cup. When the wine was passed, uniquely, it would have been one cup, and they would have all drank. So again, these two things represent the unity, the thought of, of being one. Uh, recently, uh, last year, I guess it was, on Sunday nights, we took the time looking at Jesus Christ's uh, great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. By the way, if there's a chapter, I would encourage you to read every once in a while. That will be it. Go to John 17 and just read it nonstop. And just 
Listen to the prayer of Christ because you and I are included in that high priestly prayer that he, that he had. And over and over again, he talks about the Father and he being one and that the hope and the goal was that the disciples would be one, that they would be one mind working together. Matter of fact, that was my wife and I's prayer for you all as a church today is for that thought of unity and oneness. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just saying we can always be praying for these type of things because if Jesus prayed for it, we need to. That's what we need to pray for, and that's also what we should always be seeking for. And so that, that harmony. And then he prays for those that would receive the word as a result of their witness, as a result of them preaching, and that's you and I. Jesus even prayed for us. He was constantly about the oneness. He talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, there's one Father, one Lord, one baptism, one faith, etc. And he zeroes in on that thought of one. And he is saying, I as one, one lump, have now come to be able to disperse to all the, the, uh, the salvation. Now follow me. It is one bread. It is one wine. There is no other way to have that life than by that one bread and that one wine. There is not another bread of life. There is not another that has sacrificed and died. There is no other. There is one. And it's Jesus Christ. And that's what he was getting into in John chapter 6. If you haven't studied that out recently, when he says, I am the bread of life. I came down from the Father. I came out of heaven. Anybody partakes of me will have eternal life. So we remember, and that's what this is about. I mentioned the preparation. We are to judge ourselves, and we definitely will do that in just a moment. But, but there's something else that highlighted, uh, was highlighted in my mind before, before I close, and it was verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. This is the only place that's mentioned. That's what I'm saying. This is revelation from Jesus, and he's trying to help you and I. Why are we here? Why are we ready to have this fellowship? Because we're remembering Jesus, true. But we are also witnessing to each other. As we partake of the bread and wine, we are expressing to each other, I believe Jesus died for me. We're literally showing to one another his death to one another. And that's why it's a fellowship. Because Jesus' body and blood were as precious to you as he is to me. As well as your neighbor, as well as your spouse or your children. It is an absolute equality for all men who will believe in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop right there. He also says in that last phrase, until he comes. Well, why would he put that in this whole text? We're focusing on the death of Jesus Christ. But if we focus only on the death without the resurrection, it's half of the good news. So he pulls together... Now, now follow me. I'm really smart. I'm a farm boy. So if he is going to return for us, that means he's alive. So therefore, we're celebrating and remembering his death for us but we're also celebrating a risen Savior who ascended into heaven and is one day going to be coming back for his bride. Until he comes back, we're realizing he died, but he's coming back again. 
So he says, keep doing this until I return. This is specifically for the church age. Because once he comes, we're out of here. And then everything changes for the tribulation time period. This is for us. And we're always to remember the cross. And we're always to remember and have in our mind, because what the cross does is it humbles us. It helps us remember His grace. That no one in this room ever deserved. And yet He extended it. And grace upon grace. To take care of Him, to cancel the law that was against us. He fulfilled all of that for us. And He says, now you're free. How, how can we ever, ever come into a, a perfect way of saying, God, thank you? Well, that's what we attempt to do during communion. Uh, Eucharist, the thought of, of thankfulness, is where communion actually pulls together. That we are thankful for what He has done for us. So we remember with a thankful heart, and this is what I encourage you to do, and this is what I attempt to do whenever I have communion. And that is this. When I am waiting for the bread to be given to me, I'm thinking about the body of Jesus Christ. Although, like the disciples, if you're like me, your mind starts wandering. It's our nature. But bring it back. Bring your mind back. And start thinking about what Jesus Christ went through. From Gethsemane on. And be thinking, he had you in mind, and I in mind, when that thorns, that crown of thorns was jammed into his brow with each whip with each strike on the face with each hair that was pulled from his face with each nail with each spit on the face with every mocking statement that was given towards Jesus Christ and his heart and his mind he said, Father, forgive. Forgive them. This is grace upon grace upon grace. And the same thing with the cup. My wife and I were going through some verses this morning on peace. Colossians says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. You know why I have peace with God? You know why I have peace in my heart? It's not because I feel good about myself. It's because I know the, what I have in God. And I have peace with God. I have a relationship with Him. It's as though Jesus became my peace offering. He created this oneness, unity, between myself and Him. And so I have peace. And it's all, through, all because of the blood. Being fr justified freely. You know, this is something that God freely has given to you and I. Being justified by, by Him, we have, we have peace with God. He tells us in Romans 5.1. All of this pulls together for what we are about to do. We think of the body. We think of the precious blood that was spilt for us. And it is precious, unlike any other. And it's unique in what it was able to do. And as the old hymn writer put it, there is power in the blood. And that's what we're focusing on. Father, Use this time for your honor and glory. We thank you for this chance we have to fellowship in such a wonderful way. Thank you for instituting this, Lord. And we welcome, Lord, the believers to, to fellowship with us now. 
And, and right now we begin to prepare our hearts as Christians. But Lord, first I want to just pray for those that might not even know you as Savior. God, that you'll draw them to yourself. May they understand your love, your grace, that Jesus, what Jesus did for them on the cross, that he rose again. And God, I pray that you'll bring them to the faith. With heads bowed and eyes closed, my friend, we have talked about Jesus Christ. And maybe you had some ideas about him before you walked in this place. And maybe it's a little clearer now what he's done for you. And you realize I need to, by faith, believe. And put my faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. And you can call on him right now where you are at. And that's how you're saved, by calling on, on God. Calling on him to forgive you through Jesus Christ, knowing that Jesus died for you. So right now in the quietness of this moment, just call on him. And just say something like this to God. And I'll help you. Dear God, I know that in your sight that I am a sinner. And I know that's why you sent Jesus was for me. To die on the cross for my sin. Because I know I cannot wash it away myself. And now I understand. It's by Jesus' death on the cross. His body being broken. And his blood being shed for me. I call on you now to save me, deliver me from, me, uh, me from my sin, and to give me that eternal life that I do so desperately need. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. If you prayed something like that and invited Christ into your heart, we really rejoice with you. Let me or one of the ushers, somebody know after the service is concluded of that choice that you, you made for him. Let's stand together. Here's going to play through a verse of invitation. And as she plays, let's prepare our hearts. Kara, you may be seated. <laughs> 